NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, listeners. This is NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. Today is April 11th, 2022, and today we're talking with Jim Rowe, author of Get Your Ducks in a Row. I'm your host, Tanya Baker, at the National Writing Project in Berkeley, California. Jim, we're so excited to have you join us for this important and interesting conversation. Well, thank you, Tanya. (laughs) We're really excited about this, um, about your work and listening to you tell us about writing in um, American business world. Uh, Before we get started, though, could you tell listeners something about yourself? Maybe start with a traditional introduction. Who are you? What do you do? And what brings you out to talk to the National Writing Project today? Great. I will do that. I, I, um, well, when I started college as a math major and then parted too much first semester, I called my father at the first day of second semester and said, okay, I can't be a math major. What should I do? And he suggested marketing. So I've been uh, in the marketing field since I was 18 and a quarter. And he was a pretty wise guy. He understood uh, who I am. And I uh, have, I've been in marketing for 45 years. I love it. I started out um, in research. So I'm because that numbers is still a good part of who I am. I love numbers and, you know, analysis and um, which is important for thinking. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But, um, you know, I worked in research, then I worked in brand management, which is really where I wanted to be because as a brand manager, you kind of look at your brand as as a sort of the head of the company or the brand being the company. And you need to look at every aspect of the brand. And by doing that, you learn analysis as well as thinking and everything. Um, and so I've worked on a lot of brands. I was brand manager on Coke uh, many, many years ago when it was the world's biggest brand. And uh, and everybody in the building was the brand manager on Coke, by the way. I was <laughs> I was only 28. <laughs> but uh, and there were departments dedicated to the one brand. But it was a great experience. Uh, then I went and was a VP of marketing in the wine and spirit business. And uh, the beauty of that was not only the um, many trips to Europe, uh, but it was the ability to really focus on the marketing aspect because we were an importer. So we we didn't have to make the the, uh, the brands, but we were had to sell them. And it also, uh, I had a team and I was working and directly reporting to the president as well as dealing a lot with the CEO as well as brand owners. So we had so many brands and there was a sales force and there's management and then it was owned by Whitbread that we were presenting about twice a week mm. uh, to somebody. So I used to refer to us as presentations are us. <laughs> and uh, those were in the days before PowerPoint. So mm. I think one of the great things about that experience, and I, I must also confess that the uh, I had two great mentors. The first was um, somebody we'll talk about later, Connie Humphrey, who was my first boss in brand management and a brilliant woman. And the second one was the CEO of the Wine and Spirit Company, who then became CEO of another company in hired me in my agency at that point. And the beauty of him is he grew up under the world of Procter and Gamble and, and Procter and Gamble um, kind of created brand management. And it's really the beauty of marketing and brand management. It's really a disciplined approach 
to strategic problem solving. And once you solve the problem, you need to communicate that to people. So we are we were very um, well trained in the marketing world on how to to think strategically, to do analysis, to um, deduce conclusions, and create. Uh, strategies that uh, impact what you want to do and follow that through. So I think marketing is a wonderful field. And we probably, because of all that, and I've been doing it my whole life, we probably write and communicate more than most other fields, except if you're actually a writer for a, a magazine or something. That's all we do. We're constantly writing and presenting. So it's a, it's a wonderful training ground. Jim, that was such a great um, overview of uh, your your career, but also a world that many of our listeners won't have spent any time in. So I really appreciate that. Um, before we get started, we also always like to just, um, it's maybe a teacher trait. I don't know. We just like to get to know you personally. So you don't want to know my GPA, do you? I'm not <laughs> telling you. <laughs> fair, fair. No, we like to ask questions that aren't about school or work. So um, maybe a question would be, what is something that everyone who knows you knows you love? Well, besides my wife, I, uh, I, the second one would be obviously the guitar. I have been playing guitar since I was 12. And I actually had uh, uh, two gigs the last two Saturday nights. And it's just, uh, I've been in a lot of bands and I love it. I'm not a great singer, but I'm a singer. Uh, but my, my love is guitar and Clapton is God. I think you're right. Excellent. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have I established rapport. Along. We know something. We both agree on this important point. <laughs> yes. Excellent. All right, Jim. Well, I really want to introduce your new books to our audience. Um, and I want to start by saying I've spent my professional life among teachers and college professors. And we know a lot in the National Writing Project about what students write throughout school. I think before we talk about your recommendations about writing, we should begin um, by your describing to us what kind of writing you've already talked about making a lot of presentations, but um, tell us about that in terms of writing. What kind of writing did, do you do in your work? Well, um, I, I guess it would start with um, almost every project. I, I'll come from the standpoint of being on the agency side because it's a good way to reflect how you deal with a client. So when you deal with a client, um, you let's say I've brought in 25 clients in my career. So you you bring them in and then you sit down and you uh, uh, try to understand their business. And by understanding their business, you need to um, you know get all their data and, and then what are their problems and then what are the things they're trying to accomplish. But most importantly, then you go back to the agency and you need to meet with the creative team and who work on a lot of different brands. So you're bringing in two to, you know, one to four people to sit in a room and you need to, in a very succinct manner, demonstrate and explain to them a client, their issues and their needs and what the creative team needs to go out and try and figure out. Um, and you need to do that in a very short amount of time. And we call that a marketing brief. And, um, the goal is to try and get it down to one page so that they're not overwhelmed. Now, clearly we don't always do one page, but at the end of the day, if you can get the, the entire thing down to one page so they can quickly grasp it, um, that's 
that's a that's the right way to do it. Uh, and I'll just a little segue there is that was something that the folks at Procter and Gamble did, who created brand management. They would want stuff down. They had a specification as to the size of the font. This is in the days before mm-hmm. computers. You were allowed to use uh, how wide the margins be because they wanted to be down to one page. And I just saw the other day that Jack Welch um, uh, was famous for taking, you know, he took that business in 20 years from 81 to 2001, from 12 billion to 410 billion, a 34 times multiple. And when they got together with their top hundred people and they, the five business units, he asked the five business units to present their plan on one page. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's about thinking so hard and getting it so brief and so down and succinct yet comprehensive and clear that and compelling it's if you can do that um you know and and that takes the effort you know that's where the writing and the work becomes because we can all write for days but um (laughs) getting it down to be that succinct it's an art really uh i know you saw my face sort of and we've had a cop this is not our first conversation but i am stunned over and over again about um this as that goal because you probably you might know that um teachers and english teachers particularly uh first of all study literature as well as teach writing and often spend a lot of their time helping young people elaborate on their ideas and and add more evidence and more examples and um, and from the time I read Ducks in a Row, I've been taken back to an incident in my own life after I had been a high school teacher for a number of years. And I um, ran into a former student who was an engineering student at the time. And he said, you taught me wrong. And I said, <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's really upsetting. What do you mean? And he said, I, I thought I was a really good writer coming from your class and I learned to elaborate on everything. And, and now in engineering, they just keep telling me I have too many words. I have too many words. So um, your book is bringing that story, which happened quite a long time ago now back to me. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's really important. It's really, there's nothing wrong with that way of looking at if you're going to be writing books and expanding upon things, but in many parts of the business world, uh, and also, frankly, in life, cutting it down, making it simple is um, is the point. And I can imagine as a teacher, and I'm sure other teachers in my community would say there's that there's probably an interplay between helping kids uh, really develop their ideas richly and then being able to say them concisely. So they might not be mutually exclusive, but uh, this is a really interesting frame. And I think I'd love for you to tell me more about it. Like, how would you describe the state of writing of, of this kind in business today? Well, unfortunately, it's it's really, which is what caused me to write the book. It's, it's not in great shape. Um, and I'll start with, uh, I was actually inspired by it in the early 2000s when I, I started the agency with two other people in, uh, two other guys in uh, 1990. So in the early 2000s, just when the internet and email were starting to kick in, I guess the email had been around a little bit, but it wasn't huge. Um, 
I started noticing the young graduates who, and we were three marketing guys. We, we uh, vetted the students we hired. We always hired a couple every year out of school and they had good GPAs and they had marketing internships, all the right stuff. And then we'd sit down and say to them, okay, give me a quick brief, which was kind of a test. And some of them did fine and others stared blankly. And I realized that they're not really getting trained in how to do this, even in marketing classes. So um, that was a concern. And then, um, you know, between uh, a book that came out, you probably have heard of it called Who Moved My Cheese. Mm -hmm. And I read that book and thought, well, this is brilliant. It's it's a very simple fable about, you know, adapting to change. And I won't go into a lot of it in the book, but I thought to myself, if I was ever to write a book, I would want it to be as simple as that to get the point across. Because as much as I love business and I, I respect all these people who write the very comprehensive two to 300 page business books, they're, they're a little dull, number one. Um, their deal, they deal, I think they're targeted more to the senior executive looking mm-hmm. to refine, who's probably already pretty good at the basics and the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. But for a teaching, um, practical teaching tool, I don't think they're very good. So I thought maybe I'd do this. And then I had this nightmare scenario where I had was working on my uh, uh, company laptop, but I was traveling. And I so I kept it on a flash stick and I pulled it out. Uh, when I was racing for the plane and I got on the plane to look at it again and I lost the book. That was 2006. I had a couple of printed pages. So I gave it up until I retired uh, in 2016, Mm -hmm. picked it up again. And the big difference there, which was so interesting, because this leads to your question, is it wasn't just me anymore thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I I found a lot of research and three studies in particular. It was Payscale, which had 60,000 people in the study, uh, American Association of College and Universities, and Inside Higher Ed. And between those three studies, they all measured a lot of different, what are the, you know, what are students learning? What are they good at? What aren't they very good at? And the top two skills they all thought were most important were critical thinking and communication, particularly writing. And somewhere between, depending upon the study, 45 and 73% of the managers indicated that they felt that their recent grads were lacking those two most important skills. Uh, Some people call them the soft skills. And yet, then when they, in those same studies, they interviewed the students. And between two thirds and 80% of the students thought they were perfectly proficient in it. So there's two issues going on. One is that the managers don't find they're very good. And the second thing is we've got this perception reality, and that is now called the skills gap. In fact, there was a book put out a couple of years ago. I just bought it and it just arrived. I haven't had a chance to read it. It's a pretty comprehensive book, um, but it's a reality that there is a skills gap. So that is a major issue. And I tried to figure out why that's happening. Oh, and by the way, the impact of that is um, some, there's a couple of articles in Inc. saying anywhere between 37 and $400 billion a year are uh, lost due to poor communication in the workforce. So that's just money. The other impact is morale and uh, reputations and all that kind of stuff. But um, now they're spending $3 billion to try and um, do remedial writing training because it's that important. So uh, I, it's a it's a big issue, and I think I think there was a need for the book, and I'm finding that I'm not alone. Mm, yeah. So 
uh, you saw a problem. This must be from your marketing life. You saw a problem and you said, I can make a thing to fix it. And that's how we got get your decks in a row. That is correct. And, and I will just say it. Um, uh, it's R-O-W-E. I, as a branding guy, after many years, I finally said, well, why don't I just put the R-O-W-E on it? I don't use it throughout the book, but it's the cover. And because uh, there's a bunch of uh, Get Your Ducks in a Row books out there covering anything from, uh, you know, managing your household chores to finances and that stuff. Uh, yeah, I um, bet there are. But I what I, of that. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So it actually, really what sparked it is, is I couldn't come, I couldn't get the URL, get your ducks in a row. Uh, and so I thought, you know what, I, I got a way I can get it. At that <laughs> um, but uh, be that as it may, yes, what I decided to do is I brought back in my mind the, the uh, concept. And I decided to make the fable about ducks in business. And I went back to my um, my first boss and my mentor, who I adore. And uh, her name is Connie Humphrey. Uh, she grew up in the, uh, the Bronx. She went to Sarah Lawrence University. She went to the London School of Economics and then got her dual major in finance and marketing at uh, dual MBA at finance and marketing at Columbia. Mm-hmm. And then she went to Colgate-Palmolive, which is the competitor P&G in terms of package goods. And then I met her at Lorillard and that's where I was fortunate enough because I started out in research and the research director said to me, uh, you need to promise me two years, but then I'll let you go to um, into the brand group. And after 10 months, he came in and said, I'm very disappointed. And I thought I was going to get fired. He said, but I have to uh, give you this opportunity because I don't want you to miss the opportunity to work with Connie Humphrey. So in the book, she's my boss. I'm Dappy. And uh, she is Connie Duckfree. And... Uh, And I felt it was, you know, people like to read a story and I think they learn better in a story. So it's a very simple, quick book. It's, I think the total page count is 125, but there's visuals and uh, my son did all the illustrations. And um, the, what I do is I take uh, the reader through really the 10 steps of the marketing um, brief. And it, it's pretty simple. And I'll, you know, I'm not afraid because everybody knows and marketing knows how to do it. But it's basically you start with who is the audience? Who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. And y- your purpose is the first step. And it's you need to know who the audience is. What do they know? What don't they know? What are some of their perhaps preconceptions? And then the next step is you talk to them about the background because there are things that they don't need to know or they already know, but where are the things that are going to be relevant to your, your, um, your, your written document and your communication piece from there? Uh, what are the issues? What are the problems they're dealing with that need to be solved? And, what are the objectives that you're trying to create? So, you know, the national writing project is low on funds. So your issue is you need to hit a certain budget and how are you going to do that? So after you set the objectives with metrics, because that's very important, mm-hmm. then this is what separates the men and the, from the boys, I always say, is, is the strategies. And, uh, you know, as we were talking before, it popped into my head about English teachers are t- trying to teach the uh, students to elaborate and think and be creative. 
to me, that's where some of the strategy comes in. I think some of that training is good for that because you need to start wondering, noticing and wondering the data for sure after right. you do the analysis. But uh, so after you do the objectives and then you come up with the idea, this is going to be the big idea, um, you then need to um, provide some rationale behind it, typically data that says, um, well, we've done this before and this usually generates what kind of an increase. And then it gets down to the tactical elements like, tac um, you know, how much are things that you have to buy? What's the cost going to be? Then it becomes cost and return on investment, timetable, and next steps. And it seems almost sim overly simple. And I've had a few people say to me, uh, it's kind of simple, right? Now, these are pretty senior executives. And my response to them always is, well, that's the point. You know it because you've been working for 20, 30 years. The, mm -hmm. the folks in school haven't been trained this. Um, and so I'm training them when they get out of college, and it works. I mean, I've been doing it good part of my life. I've trained a lot of young people and I'm very proud and, and having people say to me, you've been such a great mentor to me. And I, you know, you take that as something that's part of our job as this generation to help the next generation, in my case, the next two generations. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were going to summarize uh, what, a, what get your ducks in a row will provide for the audience, what um, what will they get? Well, you know, I try to uh, tell them all that my this is going to perhaps sound silly, but my objective is to make them rap. And people <laughs> look at me and I say, well, not not Kanye West rap. I, <laughs> I want them to be respected, admired and promoted. And at, fundamentally, what my job would be. And, you know, as the owner of an agency, if I put, you know, they're used to hearing me speak, but if these people are working on their business, I need to put a young 20 something on a piece of business and have them present to the client. I need to make sure they do a good job and I want right. them. So I'm all over them for that. Um, so, so that's what I want the end result to be. Um, but what I think the value is, is it teaches them, and I've had so many people say this to me, it teaches them how to think, to organize. It's really a structured format and approach to critical thinking. And uh, in fact, I visited Connie last week and uh, the week before in Florida, and she said to me, you're not just teaching them how to write, you're teaching them how to think. And if you start you know, it's not hard. And the beauty of the 10 steps, unlike a business book where they got all these suggestions, the beauty of the 10 steps is you do it once or twice. And in your head, no matter where you are, you start going through that process. Okay, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, what's your background? And I don't, I mean, it's second nature to me at this point after 45 years, but the, um, and it's a very useful tool to be able to um, think critically on your feet. And, and there's a real uh, satisfaction in working through problems. Um, so I think it, it gives people the confidence to, you know, uh, Warren Buffett, you know, one of the greatest, everybody knows who he is, one of the greatest investors, one of the richest men. Um, he went to Dale Carnegie because he was terrified of speaking and communicating in public. And he'll say, it's in, in the uh, first part of my uh, book, book one, he said, you know, you need to communicate in life to get your ideas across. And I don't think the schools are focusing on that enough. And so I think, and it's not that 
you know, there's a reason for that is, is I think there's there's been all these technological advances. So the companies kind of went in and started talking to the the colleges saying, I need this skill and I need this skill and I need this skill. And so something had to give where well, you got five classes a week. Uh, eventually, I think it became the soft skills and now the managers are regretting it. Mm, the unintended consequences. Right. Uh, you mentioned that this is in book one, Jim, which implies... There's book a book two. two. What can yes. you tell us about that? Well, that's that's kind of, uh, thank you for asking. Um, the exciting part is I had just uh, this weekend received uh, copyright approval. So now I can move towards getting that launched. So what happened was I finished book one and kind of marveled at the fact that after all these years, I was still working on it and then I was done. And then I started getting ready to, you know, get it ready for sending to copyright. And I realized, you know what? I really want to tell them this and I want to tell them this. So I started writing an appendix of all the different things that I thought I should add. And all of a sudden I realized it was becoming, you know, I've been working a long time and it's not just the, the 10 steps. There's a lot of things that go into those 10 steps. Mm-hmm. So I started writing um, all of these different components from how to analyze and all this other kind of stuff. And I realized that it was kind of disjointed. So uh, as a branding guy, I decided to come up with an acronym and I call it, this is get your bucks, uh, ducks in a row, uh, book two, uh, learn the adapter method. And the adapter method stands for analyze, deduce, author, which is pretty much book one, perform as opposed to present, which is uh, the presentation side of things. T stands for tax, tackle or execute. You know, how to, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, things that go into making sure that all these great ideas actually happen. And then the last two steps are E uh, E and R are evaluate and refine. And I don't spend a lot of time on that because it's really, you know, I view this as the the classic business cycle. You start Mm -hmm. off, you analyze, then you need to deduce and then you write it down. Uh, because I, I don't think I've said it yet, but um, I'm actually going through trademark on it right now. To me, you know, as I think I've told you before, reading is critically important. Never, mm-hmm. never think that reading shouldn't be important. It helps you, you learn from it, you get insights and you can reflect, but it's passive. To me, mm-hmm. writing, writing is where it all happens. Right, the hard work is already done if you're reading. The writing is the hard work, and uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Writing is active. And so the phrase I've been using that I'm trying to uh, trademark is to write is to think. And that's why I stress so much the importance of writing, because it forces you to, you know, to really get it down. In fact, there's a famous... um, um, uh, author and uh, his uh, David McCullough. He's written 13 enormous books. Mm-hmm. And he has a phrase I found that said, um, uh, Writing is thinking. That's why it's so hard. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually was speaking to somebody recently at a wedding who had seen him speak. And I didn't tell her that she that I actually put that quote in the front of book two. <laughs> and um, she said to me, do you know who he is? I said, yes, as a matter of fact. And she said, I went to see him speak once. And uh, at the end of his speech, he took questions and somebody said to him, you are so well known for these books. You do an enormous amount of research. And then you write the book. So I'm just sort of curious, how much of your time is spent between uh, research and writing? 
And, and his response was, I get that question all the time, but nobody has ever asked, how much time do I spend thinking? Ah, very nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to finally say that to somebody. Uh, <laughs> well, I thought it was me. Yes, and actually, our audience is probably cheering about the, the active and the, the activeness of writing, the oh, yeah. um, production-centered, yeah. you know, approach that writing is. You're really making something and the need to think of, that it's really thinking on paper. It really or, is through your yeah. fingers, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, we're really excited. I haven't, as you know, I have not yet got my hands on book two, but I'm anxiously awaiting the opportunity I'm, I'm to looking order forward it. To, I'm looking forward to uh, getting it available. Hopefully in the next week or two, we'll, uh, it'll be out there. And then I'm going to uh, put it together as uh, you can put them together on Amazon as a series. And uh, therefore, uh, I have to figure out the discounting on that when you buy both together, but mm -hmm. we're going to be doing that. Excellent. So speaking of it being on Amazon and people ordering it, that um, I know you started with an audience and a purpose, and we've talked a lot about the purpose, the problem you're trying to solve. Um, but every author in my experience also imagines an audience, a reader um, for the books they send out in the world. So who do you hope will read these two books? Well, that was a perfect leading question because um, since I listened and I, I don't know why, but I can't remember who is the author I was telling you about that was your last podcast. Uh, Rebecca Harper. Rebecca. Yes. I've bought her book. Uh, I probably should have bought the, the uh, hard copy, but I bought the Amazon with uh, <laughs> the Kindle one. So it's a little hard reading on Kindle because I can sense there's probably a lot of graphics, but oh, it's, it's a great. Yeah, it's got big pages. It must yes. be hard to read on yes, a Kindle. It's a little hard to read. That's I, I'll probably buy the hard, but I really enjoyed reading it. I love your podcast with her. Um, but this brings me and, and why I'm so thankful that uh, I, I found you folks at the National Writers Project, because um, my whole from the very beginning was going to be targeting um, recent grads and that they should buy this book. And uh, the last two months, three months since I launched it, the experience has been a, a wonderful marketing challenge because first of all, you know, everybody's telling me how you have to market and, and advertise on, on Amazon. Well, the fact is, is that as I explained in those uh, research surveys uh, earlier, the, um, the people that are buying business writing books on Amazon are probably the senior executives that are looking to refine themselves. That's point one. Point two is the students don't don't, don't know they need it. Um, they're, they think they're per perfectly proficient. So they're not going to directly buy the books and go looking for one on Amazon. So that all of a sudden is a huge marketing. Uh, okay, now I need to figure that out. So uh, then my, my next step was, okay, let's go after the um, small company and CEOs and HR training managers, and there's plenty of need. Let me be one of these training guides for that. But then in speaking with you, and particularly after listening to the last podcast um, with Rebecca, I realized that I'm missing a huge opportunity in the educational field, um, that listening to her speak about all the teachers, and she actually said the phrase, teachers really don't get taught how to teach writing and or not that much, I guess. And mm -hmm. so that's what I picked it up. And so I thought, you know what? 
this is a great teaching tool. So what I recently have done is I am creating, it's probably going to be live in the next day or so on the website. Uh, underneath books, I'm creating a subhead called Educators. And what I realized, I wrote this um, really kind of in one day uh, after listening to uh, Rebecca speak, because I thought, well, this book you know, you can get through it very quickly and it's an outline. It's 10 steps to help people think and then the tools to keep it short and how you go about it. So I, I went through the whole reason why I did it. But then in the end, what it really occurred to me is it's a format that once you learn how to do it about the ducks in the row of ducks in business, use this structure and come up with other assignments. Mm -hmm. How about trying to go on a class trip or raise money for the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts or those things? And then as time went on, you know, maybe it's uh, even for the college students. How do you um, get an internship? You know, write, write it right. to yourself. I mean, I often do that one pager before I start a project, even for something I'm going to do, because it helps me think, think it through before I start going out. So I'm, I'm really excited about that aspect of it, that I think it can be something that all teachers can use. And I, I just recently, a couple of, uh, about two months ago, the principal of the high school that my sons went to, a very prestigious school, I, they came out with their uh, newsletter and on the front cover, it said the art of writing and the writing project and the writing lab that they're creating for this coming September. And I know him. Uh, I went to the actual, the same uh, building anyway, many, many years ago. And I, I sent him a copy of the book and I didn't hear from him for months. And I thought, well, I guess he hated it. And then I got an email on Friday or Thursday saying, um, I won't say all the glowing words, I'll sound uh, um, egotistical. <laughs> but what he said was this, I totally agree with your idea. I think this book is fantastic and we need to figure out a way to get, because I offered to go speak to the students before they graduate, these seniors that this, you, you shouldn't take this for granted. And that's kind of my approach. I really want to, I think there's a need to tell students you can't take this for granted, can't take communication and thinking for granted. So I sent it to him and he said, I want to try and figure out a way to get your books involved in the school. So I think this section, and by the way, on the educators page, um, not only can you buy it a one on Amazon, but I'm creating, uh, and that's the only reason it's a little late, I'm creating bulk pricing if uh, the, uh, the teachers, I don't know who buys things in schools. So right. obviously the teacher isn't going to buy that for the students, but if the school or the students want to buy it for themselves, um, you know, in, in different quantities. So it gets down from the uh, the list price of $14.99. I think it's a 200 copy. You can get down to $10.99 or something. I don't remember. Nice. $9.99. So because uh, I, I think, frankly, my my most important market right now are the teachers. Well, that's exciting. We are the teachers and we are yeah. happy to take a look and see what we can learn from your book. And I was thinking um, when you, you know, we have talked throughout this podcast and before, and we'll probably talk more about this, about um, the way that writing changes in different spaces and has different requirements depending on what you're doing. But it's really interesting when to me when you said sometimes before I do you know before I go do anything I'm just going to write a one pager I'm going to use this outline to get my ducks in a row to get ready yeah, for yeah. whatever and it made me remember that um, Robert Caro who has written these ginormous biographies of Lyndon okay. Johnson um, wrote a very small book about his process as a writer and 
um, each book he's written is over a thousand pages. They're, they're, (laughs) okay. They're giant. And it's kind of like, actually he's, um, it's, it's kind of, I think the people who love him are like watching with bated breath because he's quite elderly and has one more book to write about Johnson in the series. But anyway, in the middle, he took a time out to say, here's how I write. And what he said is I have to be able to get the point I want to make in this book to two paragraphs. And that is the hardest thing. And it, sometimes it takes me a really long time and I'll be so frustrated and, and downright angry. And then I'll get to those two paragraphs. And once I know, once I have that, that's my guide star. And I, if anything I want to write about doesn't somehow advance the ideas in those two paragraphs, it doesn't belong in this book. I thought that was so interesting. So this, it's not as if there is, short writing and elaborated writing, uh, but that both are skills that are really important in thinking and being able to get your ideas to a concise point, even if later you're going to elaborate them. Yes. Exponentially. And, you know, I remember being in school um, and being told you need to write, have an outline. And to me, the beauty of Get Your Ducks in a Row is that is the outline. That, exactly. And that, you know, those 10 steps. And I, I don't view these as soft skills uh, just for business. I view this as a life skill. I mean, no matter, almost no matter what I'm doing, I've had people tease me asking whether I, um, do you, and this is in the days, you know, when you had three ring binders, do you still talk to your kids with issues, objectives, and strategies? You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I've been such a fanatic about it for so many years, but it's, um, it's just, it's the outline of how to think through a problem. And that's what we do in marketing. We solve problems. Jim, it's been lovely to talk with you today. And I think we've covered all our ground, but I want to give you a moment. Is there anything you want to say, remembering that you're on NWP radio and you're probably talking to a lot of teachers who are interested in writing? Is there anything you haven't had the opportunity to say that you'd like to say? Well, one is I, I, you know, my wife was a teacher and my grandmother was a teacher and everybody tells me I should be a teacher, but I don't think I could at this point in my life teach and grade papers and all that stuff. But the thing that I, I guess I would like to do is I'm trying to figure out, I put in this page that hasn't been launched yet, is if we're coming up with assignments, I came up with a couple of ideas as an idea, but I'm perfectly willing to chat with anybody who, you know, to talk them through it. And if the people, I feel like I I need to figure out a way to put on the website, or maybe I put it on the Facebook page is let's share these different assignments of how people take through. I'd love to hear how it's working. And um, you know, if, if somebody starts to use it and has other ideas for assignments or suggestions, I'm all ears. I'd love to communicate with everybody. Thank you, Jim. We'll put that out into the world and see what happens. Um, I want to remind listeners that the book we've been talking about is Get Your Ducks in a Row, R-O-W-E. It's available on Amazon. And what we haven't said in this whole podcast is that Jim has um, very generously uh, set up a donation system so that the National Writing Project receives a dollar for every book that's purchased. And um, we are putting that back into the system and um, hoping that... um, teachers uh, get interested in and take up these ideas around writing concisely and clearly and um, using writing as a way to think and solve problems. Great. Jim, uh, the only other thing I would say is that the, probably the best way to get a quick understanding of it is to go to my website, um, which is 
Jim Rowe, R-O-W-E, marketing.com, Jim Rowe, marketing.com. And when you see the books tab there, you'll be able to, it'll take you to Amazon as well, but that's probably the best way to get the full perspective. That's great. Thanks, Jim. And thanks for being with us today. It's really fun to talk about. Thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. WP Radio.